up on matters of intelligence and consciousness. I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today with me, I have guest Lathan Gorbett, documentary filmmaker. What's up, brother? So, man, how you doing? Dude, I'm doing well, man. And you, friend of the show, love having you on. And, you know, we've teased at it in the past that you were working on something. And that's something Bridge to Table is out. And so I I think the best place to start is kind of share with our audience what this documentary is about. You know, don't give me spoilers away or anything like that. And then yeah. after that, man, I really want to get into the process. So I'll let you I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, so Bridge to Table is a, um, I mean, it's changed what it ended up being a few times because it was a timely project about uh, COVID or I guess the pandemic and other issues that happened over the last two years here in Portland that really took a hit on the business community. uh, And what I was focused on was the food industry. I have a culinary background, so I've always been really close to, you know, or I guess the food industry has always been close to my heart and my wife's heart. And when we just, when we saw this thing just taking restaurants out, uh, we obviously were very saddened by it. Uh, You know, when we saw like Pock Pock and Bar King and a few of our favorite spots go out under, it was sad. Um, But, you know, we tried to not be selfish about our sadness. We tried to think about like what these people were going through and what they were having to deal with. But it was still sad to see our favorite places go. And then on top of that, we just saw this city getting shit on by people, mostly by people that don't even live here. And by people who live either, you know, in rural Oregon or other parts of the country. And a lot of it had to do with you know, memes that were being spread around and the, the coverage by um, primarily right wing media that really likes to take its jabs at uh, at Portland. Um, and we didn't think that that was very helpful for the business community. And we just wanted to play our part. You know, I was uh, I have some cameras. And so I just went out and started filming and wasn't sure what it was going to be. And and uh, it finally found its voice. It did. It did. It did. It did. So like, were you, you were filming during the, the pandemic and um, I mean, what, what do you think, what were you going to do this documentary about like first? And you said it changed like, what? I mean, what was the original idea? And then, it, and then it morphed to what it is, which is fucking incredible. But like, what was the original Thanks. idea? And, and then why did you decide to pivot? Well, I always knew that I wanted to do something in food. Right before the pandemic, I had a a job interview with a one of the local news um, source or news outlets here to be a uh, multimedia journalist, and I'd be kind of the guy on the ground going out and figuring out, you know, just showcasing what's going on in Portland and create little three to five minute news, uh, you know, segments about it, and then. You know, it felt like I was going to get hired on to do that. And um, then I got a call saying, sorry, the parent company has decided to stop all hiring um, due to this pandemic. And so I was a little bit like, well, shit. But one of the things that they asked me during the interview was, um, and I think that it landed well with them, is what would you be doing if you if money didn't matter? And I said, um, just imagine like chef's table meets like what Anthony Bourdain was doing. Like Anthony Bourdain's always been my, you know, I've got him on the wall behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always been my, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, sort of North Star in terms of like everything he's done. I've been personally uh, influenced in some way by whether it's going to some of the places around the world that he's been to or accidentally showing up to places and then watching a show and then like, Oh shit, we were there. So <laughs> it's always, you know, so, and and they said, you know, that's a great answer. And so I always knew that I wanted to do like food, culture, travel type stuff, but, you know, I was living near downtown and, you know, we were, we were locked away and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. Our kids were out of school and everything, but then the, the protests and actually should say the riots hit uh, the morning after the first night of the riots. Uh, I went down and started filming and taking photos of all the damage that was done and all the plywood going up and everything else that was happening, all the windows broken and spray paint and just everything. And then the second night 
I just went down there and I went down there multiple times and just filmed, uh, got chased by cops, breathed in gas, pepper spray, you know, dodged rubber bullets, saw cinder blocks going through cop car windows, like the whole thing. And I didn't know what I was doing with it. I was just like, I'm just going to film. Um, even cops even kind of let me off the hook. I think they thought I was media cause I wasn't tra- there to like destroy things. I was just there to film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just kept filming the protests and I was like, well, we'll just see, you know, um, what happens. And then as, as restaurants started to, uh, kind of creatively figure out what they were going to do, I just, again, I just kind of started filming that. And then one day I was like, well, why don't we just go get some interviews? Like I've run a podcast before where I interviewed restaurant tours. I know how to talk the language. Um, and so I just started setting up interviews, still not knowing what it was going to be. I thought it was going to do like an eight part docuseries about, uh, COVID, um, and about how, Portland has managed the events the last two years through the events of the food industry. That was my elevator pitch. And then we started getting to the end. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who does, does film work as well. And he kind of, he kind of had sort of a hard talk with me, like the same way you've done Rick, where it's basically like, dude, uh, fucking we've heard enough talk. Why don't you <laughs> put this thing together and get it out there? And, uh, and I, you know, nobody's, is going to give a shit about COVID in a couple months, be this thing, you know, master coming off things are. So I was like, well, that's true. So basically what I ended up doing is creating a cramming it all into one episode. It's called the, the past two years, it's, uh, the pilot episode. And then the next two episodes are going to be restaurants that closed. Next one's going to be restaurants that open. And that's going to be our off ramp to COVID. And then from there, it's just going to be a show about segments of, of the Portland food scene. God. That's kind of the, the arc. Yeah. No, that's that's going to – because it, it, it's so important, you know, because in, in, in our conversations about this, 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 this art piece, I, w- I just I, – you have to address the elephant in the room. You have to address COVID. But, you know, food – you you're you found a way to capture the way that food makes you feel the way that a restaurant makes you feel like that is what you're trying to do i think it's what you've done and it's what you're only going to it's so it's, it's so fun and it's a very unique niche show and i love it i i love it and i i what's so exciting to me is where does this lead? You know, like I, I think that a lot of doors are going to begin to open to you because of the hard work that you've done. And it has been a pleasure watching this whole thing take, take form. Um, just, just all the hard work that you put into this and it wasn't, it wasn't always easy. So, I mean, I gotta, I gotta ask like, what, like, what do you think was your hardest day filming then? How many moments do you think you had? You're like, what the fuck am I doing? And why am I doing this? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, today was, I had one of those days, you know, I'm filming for episode two and I don't have a crew right now. I'm looking to get this thing funded. And sometimes, um, you know, Graham Dale, who's, uh, credited on the, he's one of the cinematographers, uh, directors of cinematography for the, for the project. Um, he was gracious enough to come out and help and he's very talented. He's got a lot of great equipment. Um, and so he was willing to come out and help me so far for free and he was also willing to donate. So any of the drone footage you see in there is, uh, you know, not, not mine. Um, and, and so like today I'm filming a conversation, a, a follow-up conversation with Nate Tilden, who's the, the owner of Clyde Common, Bar Casa Valle, Spirit of 77, Olympia, Olympia Provision. You know, so he's a, he's a restaurateur. I think he's got like 13 restaurants or something under his name. And, um, you know, I'm, he was a major part of the first episode, but as a follow-up, we always said, we're going to do another episode in his, because we'd filmed the last one in the restaurant that he closed, Clyde Common. And today we filmed in the restaurant that is still doing well, which is Bar Casa Valle. And, you know, I've got cameras pointed at both of us while him and I are sitting down eating chorizo and, you know, drinking wine and talking. And 
my re- you know, my camera keeps shutting off. Oh, my, one of my cameras keeps shutting. So I keep going to check it and it's off. And I'm like, shit, I don't even know how much I lost. So days like that are the hardest, you know, days where you're a one man crew trying to bring production value and you're having these technical glitches that, um, just come out of nowhere. So those, that's the hardest part about this is when you're trying to make something high quality and you're doing it by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Can't re- I'm, I'm a, this is a two man band or three, three man band over here. I have, can relate to the technical glitches though, like losing footage or whatever. Like that is the most heart wrenching thing ever. Cause there's, you never get it back. And sometimes it's fucking gold that you lose. And you're just like, what? Like, I have been so... I've almost broken a few computers just losing shit, man. Like, it's hazards of the job, though, isn't it? It is, you know? And you you try to stay really organized. You know, uh, a lot of documentaries will have... Either they'll have a lot of people working on them, or they'll have... Or a lot more than this. Or they'll have... um, you know, sort of a linear subject matter. Like you have, these are your subjects that you're, that you're interviewing. This is your, you know, here's all your B roll where with this one, it's, uh, you know, we shot in like, I think I got footage from like 15 or 20 different restaurants, nine different subjects or something like that. Um, and shot over the course of time. So it was all logged very strange. So sometimes I'm having to go back through my hard drives and like, I know I've got a photo. I know I've got an image of that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's go find it. One of the images from a winery is from some video I shot at my friend's wedding. Um, you know, and I just, I was like, oh, I, you know, what would look really good. There is a shot of a winery. So I scrubbed through and found the, found the shot. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just, trying to stay organized and produce a high quality product or high quality, um, you know, final delivery with, and making it look professional. Well, while in the background, I, I, I'm sweating bullets. I mean, the day of the day we were, I was rendering it, getting ready to post it on YouTube. I realized I had like four typos, you know, I just, (laughs) I quit reading the text. And one of them was the day that the protest started. I have it. I had it as March 27th. It started in May and I was like, wait, that is, that almost went out like that, (laughs) you know? And, uh, you know, one of the Olympic provisions, Olympia provisions, I had to spell the Olympic provisions instead. Like I was just, you know, so I was just staring at the screen for so long that I wasn't spending enough time looking at the text. So, you know, I I think just lack of crew. I, I really like when you see those credits come up at the end of a, at the end of a documentary or a show or something, you're like, Jesus, there's a really like, that many people that worked on that thing, like now you and now I see why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely do. I, one of the things that I've always found interesting about films, like we, you know, I sit, we sit down, we consume it. But you, you know, you you mentioned that you are looking for different shots. Like I don't, I don't know if I have the brain to or the the amount of attention to detail that is required to really like stitch together a story. All right, which is why I do podcasts because I just like it's like the the easiest. I'm just sitting here talking. There's you know I'm I'm guiding a conversation in, in a sense, yeah. but like literally sitting down and recording footage and then cutting from one conversation to next and making it flow smoothly. Like how do you? Where do you start? Like I've always wondered that. Where do you start? Well. I mean, and I'm going to sound any person that's out there that's done this for longer than me is going to probably recognize my lack of experience. But, you know, there's some people go on like what's called a, you know, just a three act structure, right? Where, you know, past, present, future or whatever, right? Like kind of a a linear story arc. I always like to start with the uh, present first and then move into the past and then go into the future and have, I like that, that this, like, um, the tone of things like this one started out with somebody talking about like, you know, Portland's, you know, it's got its troubles, but we're picking it up, you know? Um, but there was this one format that I just kind of drew up and I just, drew an outline, basic outline. And then I went to town and tried to find the the clips to support that outline. And, you know, it's, it's ended up being 20 minutes with credits. And 
had I not cut it down, it would have been like an hour and a half. So, I mean, I just, you know, I just trim and trim and trim and you just, what they call killing your darlings. You just, sometimes you have to let stuff go that you wish you didn't. And you just trim it down to the, to the least amount of, uh, the least amount that you need in order to tell the, to drive the story forward. Um, and there were times where I watched it and I thought, you know, is this, is this arc the right way? Or am I just staring at the screen, this editing screen for too long? Um, there were some parts that I left in that I wasn't sure was going to resonate, but they, they worked for me. So, um, I left them in. Um, but at the end of the day, I decided to tell a 20 minute story inside of, I mean, a two year story inside of 20 minutes. Um, oh, one, one example would be the houselessness situation, you know, um, the tents and everything around Portland. Um, that was something that was, could have been covered. I was going to cover it. I had the footage, I had the interviews and everything else to cover it and the, and the B-roll, the, the imagery. But what I didn't have is a confidence in my level of expertise in, in order to tell, add that to the, to the story in a, in a constructive way that wouldn't potentially offend some people. Um, cause that's the last thing I want to do is, is do anything that's going to offend people that are so vulnerable, you know? And so I was looking for a, like kind of a consultant, somebody could walk me through and make sure I'm getting my wordage right. Make sure that I'm not being, that I'm being, you know, I think I'm being sensitive, but sometimes you miss it. You know, you miss something and you don't realize that, oh, that thing is actually really hurtful. And so I just realized, you know, let's just drop, let's just drop that. I don't have, need to talk about it. We maybe it's probably going to be brought up later. Uh, it is a part of Portland. Um, so yeah, that, and, and like the smoke, the fires that we had, you know, that year that really hurt restaurants too. I just didn't have any footage of it, mm -hmm. but ironically it was during the fires that I got like, that's when I got really defensive for Portland and, and that really kind of lit, lit a f fire, no pun intended under <laughs> my ass to get making something because I just saw the, the comments that were coming out around that fire. We could discuss that if you want, but, um, so anyway, yeah, I was just, you know, yeah, my process is very sloppy. Well, you, you cut yourself some slack, man. Like you just, you I'm, did it. You fucking did it. You've, you've released it. It's out there yeah. and it's doing very, very well. It's, it's doing well. And that's all, that's all you can ask for. Like you're, you're doing great. You're, you keep trending up, keep getting more views. Like it's going to turn into something The the, mm -hmm. and, and the thing is like, I'm sure that you're a lot like me and but maybe I'm not a perfectionist by any means, but I do, I do take pride in, in the work that I do. And so you're, you're going to probably look at this with a fine tooth comb and be like, God, damn it, I should have done this, this, but dude, you're going to yeah. get better. You've got more episodes to make. It's only going to get better. And if you look at like from the level at which and the time that you took to release this and, and the product that you delivered, it's fantastic. Whereas like, you know, I went a different round. I just, <laughs> I just took a shotgun and I just keep talking. I keep talking yeah. into the microphone and spitting things out into the, the deep dark void that is the internet and hope that something sticks. You know, you, you were, you were, a you did it in a, a very strategic way. You found a niche, you found something that you're very, very passionate about, and you found a community that is going to value the work that you do because you're shining a light and telling their stories. The, the restaurant industry is the most bizarre, awesome industry that ever exists, in my opinion. It's full of derelicts. It's full of so many creative people, derelicts. Like I have some buddies that are chefs, so that's that's what <laughs> that's what I mean by that. But like, it's just full of these these crazy people that make amazing food, and they work weird hours, and they they stick together, and like, it's it's something that we're all fascinated by because like you know the, the, the most people that are in that in that industry exit it pretty quickly, but some some people that are crazy enough just stay. And there's like, we had Aaron Franco, um, chef. Uh, he, John, I forget the name of the restaurants. You pull that up and Franco, I can't remember it. It's, it's a really nice restaurant. Son of a bitch. Anyways. Um, he, 
he was he he's let me know about doing exchange programs in different countries, like just knowing about a chef walking into his restaurant, like, hey, can I cook for you for a few weeks? Yeah, that's fine. I'll do it for free just to learn. Like I did not know that that was a thing. And that's like mm-hmm. I think that the the more that we can be exposed to that industry and all of its secrets, the better off we're all gonna be. And uh because there's a lot of stories to tell there. Go ahead, John. Uh, it's the Metropo- uh, ugh, Metropolitan Tavern in Portland. Yeah, it's good. It's at the top mm. of a hotel. It's, it's pretty. It's, check it out. It's good. Yeah. But um, yeah, man. And I love that, you know, you're already thinking about sliding in other elements that maybe are you're going to find a way to relate it to food, but you're going to slide in other elements to tell that story, right? Like, you know, the the continuation of the the, the great man that is behind the wall, Bourdain. Right. Like that's, that's, that's why you're doing this. You want to be in that, that category. You, you know, I, I've known you forever. You're not going to do anything half-assed. You're going to figure out a way to get there of that. I'm a hundred percent confident. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that was that a question. No, I was just <laughs> <laughs> okay. no. <laughs> you're waiting for me to I went, respond. I went, no, just, I went on a tangent. Keep talking about me. <laughs> talking about me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird here to have people say good things about you all the time, isn't it? It is. We should. I, I never take it well. Uh, that's good. You know, I, I, I do. You ever wish that you could talk to yourself nicely more? Uh, like you know, other people mm-hmm. share nice things. I. That's the one thing I am. Uh, we don't need to turn this into a therapy session, but I am pretty fucking hard on myself, like too hard. And I feel like sometimes I think all of us are, but that, that, that sometimes slows our creative process and, and it slows. Like, I think it, I think it can almost hamstring. It's definitely hamstrung me in several situations where I couldn't progress because I was like maybe scared or just in my own head, you know? I mean, that's why it took me a year longer than it should have to put this podcast or this uh, episode out. Yeah. You know, but that's, I was, I, it's me on that, you know, and just, it, it is, you know, I really try to take it from a journalistic standpoint. I'm trying to, as much as possible to take it from a journalistic standpoint, which is tell their story, not mine, but every, you know, there isn't, I don't really think there's any th- such thing as a, a truly objective story. Um, so, you know, you, you have my, you know, editing choices and my flow and that's all there. There's where the subjectivity comes in. So when I see like, a like one of the, the sort of intro montage, uh, of the episode, you know, that's, that's, I made that and I'm, it, I never got it as good as I wanted it, you know, like I just didn't have time to make it as good as I wanted to. So at some point you just got to put it out there, let, let the audience and get on to the next one, right? You let yep. the audience see it, either the, it'll be received well or not. And I got to get on to the next thing. You know, there's, I heard one of the first things I heard early on when I was in school for, for uh, multimedia journalism was, um, you know, you're never going to be, fully satisfied with anything you do. And, uh, and you know, I, but I am, I am satisfied with what I put out there. Um, do I want it to improve and get better? Of course, you know, you go back and look at some of the early Anthony Bourdain episodes and, you know, the cameras are pretty choppy, you know, they didn't have the best. It was also because it's older, so they didn't have as good of cameras, but like, you know, as the show progressed, they got more money and, you know, of course, then when CNN picked him up and turned into parts unknown, he had like, you know, incredible cameras. But, you know, I just I see this as a, a, a first a first of for being the first thing and having per, pretty much no crew. Just like I said, Graham was very helpful, but uh, I'm I'm satisfied with where with where it ended up for as short a time as I've been doing this. Um I'm satisfied. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And this is the this is project one done. Now you're on to project two. Do you have a like a time frame for getting that one out? Is like how this has got to be time consuming with all the editing and the shooting. So like like realistically, like what would be your goal for like getting this series? Like how often could you potentially put these um, series out? If I can get it funded, I'd like to put out two a month, but 
I don't think the next one will be finished and ready to go till July. Um, because again, it's me, I'm going to be spending, I've got clients, you know, I'm doing some commercial work and then I've got, uh, I've got meetings to pitch this thing and try to get it funded. So this, and then uh, building out the website and getting everything else going while going out there and shooting. So it's, you know, there's probably going to be four to six weeks between episodes right now. Uh, and I'd like to turn that into two. Okay. I mean, that, that's, yeah, that would be, I'm just thinking about the man hours. Cause that's like, that's, that's ambitious. I love that. I definitely think you could do it a hundred percent. Well, especially if I get a format, you know, I've got a format, I've got a format in my mind, which is not like the first episode. The first episode is going to be a bit different than some of the others. Uh, stylistically, I think it'll be the same. It'll still, still kind of get those tones, but in terms of, uh, structure, you know, you create a structure. That's why like, you know, name a show that, you know, the bachelor, right. Or whatever, you know, they have a format, they plug it in and they move on to the next thing. Right. And, uh, not that I want to be in that space necessarily, but, um, you know, there's a show called street food on Netflix, which I really like their format. Cause they'll go, you know, they'll go into like Singapore or wherever Bangkok and they'll focus on the street food of that city. And there's usually one main person that they focus on and then they'll have two or three sort of sub characters for the episode. And so that's probably the approach that I'm going to take is get that one main uh, interview. And then just again, like if I do an episode on farm to table, you know, Greg Higgins of Higgins restaurant has agreed to be a part of that episode. Um, and then I'll, you know, I'll find maybe a purveyor, maybe like a pork, uh, pig farmer and I'll find a, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, maybe, a, another a bistro, small bistro that's a little bit less well-known or a, a food cart that does food farm to the table, you know, and then that try to pull that whole thing together, um, by bringing those characters together. Um, but having the one character be, you know, what, so I guess the point that I'm making is with a format like that, you know, you could be shooting for an episode three months out now and just locking in the kind of like sales. You did sales, right? For yeah. a while. Um, you know, you got a sales pipeline and, you know, in sales, you always want to have that, um, the deal that you're going to close down the road already in your pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. You want to already, you don't, you don't want to start looking for the deal that you're going to close right now. You start looking for the close, you're going to, the deal you're going to close down the road. So same thing, like with a, you know, my work pipeline is let's start filming, not just the things for the next episode, but for the things down the road as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think like, if you, are you trying to keep this on YouTube, like the the whole bridge to table, or would you be open to it, moving it somewhere else if you were able to find the right suitors? Um, I don't know. I don't really know what that looks like. Uh, I like putting it on YouTube right now because I can get it sponsored by uh, groups of my choice. And it's easy to find the algorithm, I think, supports, you know, search pretty well if it's tagged well. But, you know, I mean, of course, I mean, if something like a Hulu picked it up, I mean, you know, I, it'll be off of YouTube that day. But like, <laughs> you know what I mean? but yeah, yeah, yeah. it depends on who's paying me. I mean, if Travel Portland wants to pay me for five episodes of this and they can embed that YouTube link on their sites and Eater PDX or whoever wants to throw a link up on there, you know, YouTube might be the way to, to keep it right now. Um, because I'm trying to do sponsorships via, because I, I guess ultimately one of the things that I decided to make, this is not part of your uh, question, but one of the reasons I decided to make this was in defense of the image that Portland was getting from these memes and media and things. So um, if travel, I, I use them as an example, because I know they're trying that, you know, their initiative is to bring more people into Portland and to showcase what Portland has to offer. Well, that's what I'm doing too. So it would be a it would be a good partnership for me to, and I wouldn't have to pivot. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there there might be some creative 
control in terms of like, hey, why don't we do not do an episode on heroin use downtown? <laughs> okay, we're not going to really want to pay for that one. And I'd be like, okay, I don't really want to go make that episode either. Let somebody else make it. Um, but you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't have to pivot my my values or my ethics if Travel Oregon or Travel Portland or the Downtown Portland Association or whoever, the city of Portland, wanted to pay me to keep making these things. Yeah, you're, um, you're yeah. trying to clean up the image of the city. Why? Why? Why does that? Why did those those things piss you off so much? Like you made a film about this. Well, I've been in Portland, so I grew up in you know where I grew up in Molalla, mm-hmm. um, Oregon, which is for people who don't know is a small little you know redneck town outside of or about forty five minutes. Uh, outside of Portland, but it's got this, like, I always just saw it as like this cultural bubble, right? It's like, there's such a disconnect for being 45 minutes away. There's such a cultural disconnect between Portland and Malala. And, but I had a, you know, my best friend lived in Portland. So I would go to, you know, 36 and Hawthorne that, you know, we'd go hang out on Belmont we'd go hang out in Northwest and we ride the bus around and skate around town. And, and then I go back to, you know, the, the, place where I was from, which is very different than Portland. And I guess I always just felt like I connected with it more than I connected with that other, the place that I actually lived. And then when I moved here, I just, I just felt like my, I just put my roots down here. And so I don't know. It was like, I didn't think that I I feel like the, the media and a lot of people on Facebook with their, you know, just, touting and wanting to bitch and moan or whatever and just have something to like you know stir up their friends with they were it it was just opportunistic and it was at the risk of these businesses that were really really working their asses off to do great things and as you may agree i think food is the cornerstone of any culture and so when you go and it's not like we have like ribs like that's you know or whatever, fill in the blank. We don't have this thing that is Portland food. Portland food is all food, right? So it's, if you don't have, I I feel like if you don't have something, just one thing, single thing to bind to, and we had food trucks, which not only was a nice uh, cultural thing for people to, uh, for for Portland to kind of bind itself to or or be bound to, um, even though the food's all different, it's kind of, you know, it's food trucks. People can relate to that. Fortunately, food trucks, a lot of food trucks did really well during the pandemic because they were takeout, you know, and, um, you know, they didn't require seating or if they did, they could seat outside and things like that. But I don't know. I just I just felt like it was just inappropriate for, you know, these are people. Uh, any you know, Portland, like any other city, is just a bunch of people. And I like to think that most of which, um, namely in the food industry, are good people trying to to contribute something good and they're taking a loss both in terms of image and revenue uh, for them and their employees by getting shit on by people that aren't part of this community. You know, when you have a major news outlet that's just showing the same huddled group of people with masks on burning a flag in the middle of a street, that one event took two minutes and there was a hundred days of protests, you know, like, but you want to show the same fire over and over and over again. And we want to call them Antifa's and we, or whatever. And you want to misconstrue what the whole thing is when, you know, six blocks away, there's a row of food cart pods that are not being damaged. And they're just wanting people to come by and feel safe enough to come by and eat their food so that they can pay their rent. You know, it's just that's that was my defense for the whole thing. Um, so I started out a little bit bitter, but I, you know, I grew optimistic. <laughs> I grew optimistic because the restaurant tours, so many of them are optimistic. You, you have know? to and be. I to found my business. I found my optimism again in the people that were being affected. You know, some of the people that were being not the most, but you know, a lot. They're being affected a lot. Yeah, yeah, they're. Um I'm really glad you did it. You know, there's two ways to look at what happened, right? I'm going to, I'll go on the two stories. There's the, the positive way, which is, 
this is my city. This is where I'm from. I love this place. Yes, we're flawed, but aren't we all, right? We can fix this. We can figure this out. We can move forward. We can get better, right? And then there's the way that I looked at it, which is the wrong way, which is, fuck yes, property value is going down. Let no. <laughs> <laughs> I know it went up. <laughs> I was like, maybe people are going to be moving out of here. Maybe the state will be evacuated. This is going to be awesome. That's that's not the case. I think I've I've now switched to the optimist because I really do think that I think the. Like I've go I've been downtown like at the height of the the p word. Won't even say it anymore. And there was. It was ridiculous. And I've been downtown since then, and it's getting better. It is, the city is getting cleaner. They are cleaning up because for a while there, it was, it wasn't like super, I'm a pretty big guy. Um, so I'm not generally, I'm not, I'm not too, too, too afraid. Like, yeah, there's definitely some allies that wouldn't want to, wouldn't have wanted to go down. But it, just like looking at all the tents was like kind of upsetting to me. I don't think that like that's a good, it's not, it's mentally, it's not good for anybody, any parties. It's not good for us to see that. And like, to just be like, we, you know, it's a kind of a violation of a social contract that we all have signed as, as people. And it, it's not good. The, sanit- the sanitation of that's not, not good for those people as well. So something needs to be done. And I think we're going to figure that out for sure. I do think that we're going to figure it out. Well, and I agree. And I, I think that there's a lot of ways to look at the houselessness situation. And I and I agree. I don't think it's good for anybody for us to uh, provide a, a um, provide an opportunity for somebody who's, you know, mentally ill standing in the middle of second Burnside screaming at the buildings while traffic is going by. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's good for anybody. So I don't think it's good for them. For us, so I don't know what the answer is, and I'm not even going to go, you know, try to tackle that one. But you know, the thing that I've noticed, so I think that the city does seem like it's getting cleaner. You know, I went down there one time, you know, about a year ago, and I remember walking down, and I was like, okay, there's no denying that this smells like piss and mm-hmm. shit, mm-hmm. and there's garbage everywhere. This is not good. And then I went down there like three weeks later, and it was like, or not three weeks later, three months later. And I was like, oh, this something's different. This is getting cleaned up. Something's mm-hmm. happening right now, and I don't know what it is. But the the thing about Portland is it's just small, right? And you mm-hmm. have the downtown is the same part of town where those tent those tents are at and where a lot of that kind of stuff that you see is at. Where you go to somewhere like LA and like that stuff exists in a part of town that tourists don't really go to. You know, you, I remember uh, first time I was in Paris, we took a train out of Paris. And, you know, it's Paris. It's like the most beautiful city in the world. 100%. And we're taking a train out of there, and there is graffiti everywhere. And you go through some of the neighborhoods, and they're relatively clean. But, like, I was like, oh, okay, so this is everywhere. And so when I hear people complain about, like, oh, there's this, you know, homeless person, you know, peeing on something downtown, I'm like, it's always Portland's always, as far back as I can remember, has always been like that. And so I don't know if people are expecting it to turn into something that's cleaner and better than what it was before the pandemic, but maybe we were just kind of blind to it before the pandemic because we weren't, we didn't have all this time and energy to sit here and focus on all these problems the same way. Um, But I don't know. I, I just think that like I spoke to somebody today and he's had his restaurant broken into multiple times. Uh, a lot of restaurant uh, restaurant owners have, and are just, you know, glass being broken or just stuff, you know, people going in and stealing shit. And one of the things though, is there's only, only a few parts of town where people tend to genuinely, genuinely feel unsafe. So it's not really a matter of safety. It's more of a matter of just looking bad because it's like, you know, people breaking in and stealing something like, you know, I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is like, I don't feel very unsafe. And I go into most parts of town. I know there are parts of town that are not not safe. But for the most part, I just don't think that safety should really be the issue. Um, 
and the people who are are choosing not to come to Portland because they because of what they see on uh, the F word uh, news channel, <laughs> um, they they shouldn't you know come down like there's look you they can Google search Portland neighborhoods. Like, I think that's a good way to do it. Neighborhoods in Portland to check out. That way you don't have to go to Old Town if you don't want to go to Old Town or you don't have to go to this other part. You can go to Alberta or Mississippi or, you know, wherever. You can just go to the part of town that you want to go to. And you can see that, like, neighborhoods are thriving in a lot of ways right now. Uh, I don't know. The food food scene to me feels like it's doing really well. Like, I'm excited about a lot of the things that are happening in the city right now. There, there, Yeah, there's a... I mean, is uh, first Thursdays is that is that mm-hmm. back? Yep. Oh, sweet. Yeah, because that was shut down yeah, for a while. Yeah, first Thursdays. That's like a kind of like a street fair type deal where there's food and you can buy paintings and farmers. Yeah, you like, buy art on the street. It goes all the way down Thirteenth and Northwest. Uh, it's a great time. You know, I was down there what to last month for first Thursday, and no, it's great. And a lot of, I mean, most of the city is just, it kind of feels like it's getting back on track. I, th- you know, I think There's so. just changes. But most of the changes are not the changes that are going to affect the people that are going down, the, the patrons, right? It's not going to affect, the changes don't affect me as the customer. The changes affect the business owner. So there's certain things like, um, you know, since, since the pandemic too, like we've, not so much anymore, but at some, at one point, you know, we accepted a little bit less quality on the food delivered, right? Because the, they might only have one cook trying to trying to just knock this out so they can pay their lease and keep the lights on and whatever. Um, so some stuff might come out a little cold. So dealing, you know, accepting that uh, and still going and just supporting these places, tipping a little higher is something that we adopted over the pandemic because. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these uh, servers and cooks and stuff need a little extra heads, you know, because even though, you know, there's one of them, there's a lot less people coming in. Um, and then just slower service. Most restaurants that I've noticed have a bit slower service right now. So just give them a break. Let them just re- like they're having a hard time getting this stuff out to you and they can't afford the waste that they once maybe could have a little bit more. They can't afford the staff or there's not staff coming on. That's the biggest problem in Portland right now is that I've, that I've heard from every restaurant owner is we cannot hire enough people. Nobody wants to come back to work or not enough people want to come back to work. Um, so I think a lot of the people that were working in the restaurant industry because it was a flexible, some flexible hours with a high paced environment and good money for the hours you worked. I think it feels like a lot of those folks probably didn't come back. And the people that remained are the people that work in restaurants because they fucking love restaurants, you know? So those people came back. Yeah. Um, so employing people is really challenging right now for restaurants. So you might go in, you'd be like, man, the service here is slow, but they might have half the kitchen staff that they need. You know, but they're doing the best they can or they, you know, some restaurants will just stop seating people because the the chef says we cannot have another table right now because we'll compromise service. You know, well, I did not know that that was going down. Yeah, the major issue servers like people can't get servers. So like uh, Nate Tilden, the guy who owns Clyde Common and stuff, you know, he was a welder back in the day or, you know, a builder. And he's back to his roots. He's back building things for his kitchen and he's cooking. He's on the front line of the, his restaurant. He's on the line of his restaurant being a line cook again. You know, I mean, this guy's, you know, one of the more impactful restaurateurs over the course of the last 20 years in Portland. And he's a line cook again. Just can't so. find, just can't find a cook. No. And he loves it. Fortunately, he like being a cook is something he loves, but it kind of forced him back to his roots. And I, I, I admire that. Um, you know, cause one of the things I asked him is like, and I, I don't really want to paraphrase his answer cause I have to go back and watch the footage, but like, why would you choose to do this? You know, it's, it's a little easier to throw in the towel or it makes good logical sense. Like, uh, Andy Ricker of Pock Pock, you know, he was one of the first restaurants to close down, but I interviewed Andy, uh, while I was in Chiang Mai, and he he alluded to the fact that he was kind of waiting for I mean, he didn't say this so much, but I gained, I got the impression that he was looking forward to the 
opportunity to move to Chiang Mai and just live there and stop being a restaurateur in America. Um, I don't think he's done forever, but he's, uh, you know, people, some people saw an out, an off ramp, the Paley's from what I hear, they, you know, Paley's place, they, uh, I've heard people say that, you know, they were looking for, they, you know, they were willing to accept the off ramp, you know, wow. they were, they're older and they're getting ready to retire. But like, uh, Sarah Schroeder of mother's bistro, uh, you know, she, I don't know how old she is, but she's old enough. I think she's close to old enough to retire anyway. She could take the out, but she's not, you know, um, it's just, yeah, it's just, I don't even know what the question was, why I went on this tangent. No, no, this is is what it's all about, man, is, is the tangents and the, and the spirit. I I, I think, because I was pretty lost in seeing the passion, but I, I believe we were kind of talking about the, oh boy, where, how did we get here? I asked you, well, what pissed you off? Why did you make this film? And that, then we, yeah, we, we went a whole bunch of places, but. I can share one story with you. Please do. It's, it's off the restaurant path, but it's one of the things that really, so you might be able to relate to this because I know your brother worked on a project that helped distribute fun, distribute resources out to people in while the fire, the wildfires were going on last summer. Yep. Um, so I remember seeing all these people talk about Antifa's out there burning down, uh, burning down Malala. Right. And I was like, first of all, what is an Antifa? Like, what is this thing you guys are saying is a thing? Um, not, I'm not denying that the, 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 but it's kind of made up. It's it's borderline fictitious. But but they you know people would post something up that said BLM on it. And, you know Black Lives Matters is out here burning down our woods. And I'm like <laughs> Bureau of Land Management, dude. Come on. Or like people would post up like they, yeah they're out here tagging our stuff. I'm like that's a pretty like a professional looking tag. Um, and then but there was this one where this lady posted a thing saying my husband just saw some Antifa out trying to catch a fire to some burn, um, some hay bales. And my husband chased him off. Well, this, so apparently it was in like this maroon Lexus or Acura or something. Mm-hmm. And it was, just, I guess, a couple people with masks on. Well, this, I was watching online. I was just watching this thing unfold. This is when I basically decided to get off of Facebook. Before. <laughs> was but I was like, I was watching people that I knew, people I was related to, people, you know, just all these people like going nuts about like this Antifa out there doing this and that and that people were practically calling for the execution of whoever's driving this maroon. People were going driving around with guns in the woods trying to find this maroon car. That maroon car, from what I understand, but I'm, I'm, I don't know if I have everything perfect with it, but what it turned out to be was one of the people's from Malala. They were journalists that were working the protests and the riots. And that's why they had gas masks and they were wearing masks out to, to film the oh. fires because they were going into fucking fires. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so they yeah, were wearing yeah. masks. Yeah. So yeah. these people, their lives could have been, compromised like they could have been shot by somebody or beat up or something like that because of this misconstruing of of information when everybody's going crazy on facebook and that's really what kind of sparked something in me to like okay i don't know what i got to do but i need to get out there and just start recording this and figure out where the story is going to take me and and it took me to a different place but anyway that's the that's the one of the sparks that fueled me as I just watched this. I was like, man, you guys have no clue what's happening here. You guys are just bored, fired up, watching too much Fox News, and you own guns and trucks. <laughs> watching like, too much. You're, you're, you're harping. Just, you're, you're very critical. It's just not a, well, it's just not a healthy – I mean, I, it's not even like left or right. You know, There's I'm not even taking it. Because I have – you and I have talked about it. I have a very – I'm very opinionated, which I try to keep on the, you know, uh, I try not to let my opinions come out too strongly. Uh, they don't really seem to be helpful when they do, but you know, I have very, a lot of problems with people on, with a lot of things that happen on my side of the aisle too, yeah. but that there was annoying 
And then there was dangerous. Yes. And to me, that kind of language is dangerous. Um, and so anyway, that's, that's my stance on it. It's a sickness of the mind. I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've done a lot of thinking about this recently because I was very, very focused on the, the crazies of the left. Mm-hmm. I, and then I, I got introduced to the crazies of the right. And so I think the left, I feel like uh, this is vast generalization. Um, but the left generally, like, they're very politically correct, which is kind of annoying. Um, they're like, some of them are crazy. They might not understand certain things from uh, like maybe a more rural point of view, whatnot. And so we'll haggle over and fight over issues like that. And, but for the most part, it's like there are, there are causes, causes for causes they love. So it's one month it's BLM, then it's Ukraine, then it's, pro- then it's just, you know, you're, you're going to change your, your, your social media, you're going to be a social media revolutionary and let people know that you're a good person. So that's like my, my issue with that side, mm-hmm. right? Then you have the right. I didn't realize how fucking crazy the right got until I had a buddy that met someone that was like full Q. And I, I didn't think that was real. I was like, there's no way. No, this it's person, very real. Oh, yeah. It is. I have, photo, very I have photo evidence. He, he sent me f- pictures of this this is a, as one of his coworkers, this person will remain nameless. One of his coworkers brought in a folder. Cause he's a lot like me to where if someone, if I find out someone is crazy, I'm really not going to try and correct you. I'm going to get you talking and I'm going to agree with you because I need to know how crazy you are. Plus maybe there's, maybe there's some, some, some credence. I'm, a, I'm into weird stuff. So maybe, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we'll find some, some, but I'm not going to shame you. I'm just going to, but he, 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 he called me and said, I may be taking this too far, man. She brought in a folder today. And I was like, what? So he sent me pictures of all the shit that this lady believes. And I was like, this is real? And he's like, yes, dude, this is real. There are people. And I feel like the, the, the I mean, the, again, vast generalizations. I do feel like the right potentially might do stuff. You know, they may have a bit more of a purpose. And, the, and then... You know, left as well. There's Antifa. They're they're all crazy. Like I'm, I'm Antifa. It's I'm pretty sure it's real. Antifa's not really a left. It no, it's not. That's fair. They're 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 crazy, but um, there are there are crazies on both sides. But like I do, but I what I was trying to get back to is like I do. Th- I think it's like a disease of the mind. I think that, and there are credences throughout all of history about just how crazy people like when you like fear is the mind killer and when you start getting afraid of something or you feel that your safety or your family's safety or whatever and it and, it, and then you link that to an ideology like the amount of like terrible things that have been caused throughout history because of that because of the fear of the other is crazy I mean, if you think about the, the Bushido code, the code of the Japanese soldiers in World War II, and, and not all of them were like crazy fanatical, but like that whole society was prepared, like prepared to like you know one of the some of the propaganda was going around was one hundred million souls giving their lives for the cause like that is what you know we were up against like the the war against imperial imperial japan or nazi germany was like it fought over an ideology of like pushed to the fucking extreme now granted there were people in both of those societies that didn't like what was going on but what i'm saying is like there is precedence like for that fear of the other, like just how far it can go. And I do, I truly do believe that it is a bit of a sickness of your mind. It's something that like, it's like a contagion, right? Like the, I, I kind of like have been subscribing to that theory a little bit more. And I don't know if there's any scientific backing behind well, it. I mean, it's true. I mean, if you believe that the people with the, you know, on the other side of the political aisle are, doing ungodly things to children and ought to be killed. Like this is, we've stepped over some lines. Pizzagate. You know, Pizzagate is what you're yeah, talking Pizzagate, about. I mean, that's one of the, you know, original ones, but I mean that, that 
you know, don't, I wouldn't even go down that rabbit hole. No, want to just toxify your brain, but <laughs> it's just a disgusting, like it's, it's just, to me, I saw the whole, that whole thing, like a video game. It's like people who get so entrenched in video games that they, you know, but the difference was, is this is one where these people actually thought it was real. It's like a role playing game, yeah. but they, the, the problem was that people didn't know that they were playing a game. Yeah. You know, you had people that actually thought that this was real when all they are is just playing a game called QAnon. And I just, I, I, you know, I hate to, to beat people up about it, but I mean, it takes a certain level of feeble mindedness to like allow yourself to go down there. And, and I'm not saying that every person needs to have, needs to be strong of mind, but I find it terrible when these, these kinds of things are cults or, you know, there's a lot of things like that, right? It's very cultish when these things grab onto vulnerable people who don't know any better and convinces them. Well, it's like the problem I've always had with, um, you know, multi-level marketing is it like convinces people that they not only can be an entrepreneur, but if it convinces them that they are an entrepreneur, you know, and then it convinces them that they are something of real value to the company as if they are an executive because they have the word next to their name, right? It's like QAnon was like, it gave people that charge of like, oh my gosh, I know something that the rest of the people in my family don't know. So therefore I'm like, I'm like leveling up every time I get on and I get these, you know, Q drops or whatever. And I hear what all the stuff on YouTube that people are saying, it gives them that same sense of like empowerment. They probably don't get it other places in their lives. So it was very, very sad to me to see that, that happening. Yeah. Um, but there's a point where it just it just needed to go away. You know, it just needed to go away. It was so it's so it was so dark anyway. I'm just glad that, you know, that's one of the reasons I turned off I, yeah, I turned yeah. off my I, it's back on now, but I turned off my Facebook right before the last election actively. I knew I was going to be doing it. I was like, no matter what happens on election night, my Facebook goes off. Oh, that was a smart move. No matter what, I just don't want to see anything or hear anything about what everybody thinks anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I'm way less politically active now. I mean, it's <sighs> it's so nice because for the first time in my adult life, I'm not politically engaged that much. Um, and I'm sure I will be back at some point. But no, you right shouldn't. now, my activism is in the, what I'm doing with this project. That's, that's my activism. That's a good point. That's a good place to put that energy. Because, I mean, honestly, like, I mean, I really just don't think any of it matters. I mean, it does matter, but it, I don't let, I try not to let politics affect my life. Uh, I, you know, I just moved uh, to a new neighborhood. I got a lovely new home. And uh, I was meeting my neighbors, and one of the neighbors that I'd met uh, walked up to me, and we were talking about other neighbors. And she's like, This guy down the street. He's a nice guy, but he's a Trumper. And I was like, why the fuck do I need to know that? And like, why do you, like, are you just like, bitch, maybe I voted for Trump. I did. But, you know, like, are you just assuming that because I'm black that I'm a Democrat? Like, I mean, like, what, like, why this person doesn't have to be on, he's a human. Like, I don't care who he voted for. What I care about is like, is he a nice person? Is he going to steal my shit? Right. So that's kind of where I'm at. Go ahead, John. May I offer a thought to that? Yes, please. Have you considered that maybe they're they're not telling you that he's a Trumper because, like, they don't like his politics. I mean, they probably don't like his politics, but like as like a political thing, but more as they see you as a black man, and they are making an assumption that is inherently racist. That you know you need to know these things, but they might be telling you because the the extreme Trump person might be you know racist and could be a danger to you. Oh, dog. I don't, I mean, listen, maybe, maybe that's just them trying to be kind. I wasn't offended by it, but I'm just, I, I try to, I try to not get into any political thing. I don't want to take, I'm not, I hate both sides equally and uh, I don't want to take any sides. 
And if I could add to what John was just saying, I think one of the things too, and the unfortunate thing is, is Trump or like Trumpists or whatever you want to call them, Trump's the diehards, uh, oftentimes and not always, it's not like you're saying they're a Republican. When they're that, when they're that deep, where they identify deeply with their their support for Donald Trump, unfortunately, there's a high enough percentage, and let's say it's fifteen percent. Let's say I think it's higher, but <laughs> even if I, I see, I think it's probably closer to forty percent. But uh, of those people, are probably um, they're they probably have some other. Th- personality traits and qualities that are are probably things that we assume that a lot of people want to kind of look out for. And I see, you I know, always call them, I call them MAGA chuds. MAGA chuds? Yeah, I think that's, I think that might be a Twitter or internet term. But it's like if you have a guy that's like next door and he's like, he's got a, a basement and he's wearing tinfoil hats all the time and he runs out in his underwear and he's got a shotgun <laughs> in, in his hand all the time. You know, if you got one of those kind of guys, you're probably going to be like, Hey, dude down the road is really nice, but watch out. He just comes out and fires a shotgun in the sky once in a while. Like you'd probably just be like, Hey, and so, so for, for some people, there are a lot of people in that, that super strong Trump base that do kind of feel a little bit like that too. To some people. Well, two things, the guy that's firing the shotgun, is he firing it to bring property values down? Cause if he is, then maybe, <laughs> Maybe him and I could have some sort of friendship. I think that's a great idea. Once a month, we do that to bring the prop. Anyways, but that being said, I see what you guys are saying. I totally disagree with you. I think it was ridiculous. I, Mm. I want, I don't want you to try and skew me. You know, there, there was the, the, the statement, he, he's a nice guy, but, but like, I, w- I would like to figure out maybe why he feels that way, right? Because uh, listen, like let's. Uh, this is it. We've got we're we we are teetering on a very dangerous ledge here of getting fully political, and that we're not going you know, to do it. To hold on, go to, to huh? <laughs> go hold on. on. But what I was trying to say was, I want to know. I want to know, like again, what kind of human being this person is. And I don't want, you know, I want to, maybe I want to take the opportunity to figure out like why he voted for this person, you know, because like, to be honest, I know a lot of things have changed, but gas is like $7 a gallon and that's not a tenable. And there's yeah, but $7 a gallon gas doesn't justify, you know, supporting. No, no, definitely not. Genocide against minority, minority populations, you know, well, what do you mean genocide? We're John. We're we're on we're in dangerous territory. We're gonna have to back this. No, up. I mean like you know to kind of like to add to what Lathan is saying as well. You know, like you have you know every person has their own unique experience. But if somebody's making a, a generalization based on just on your appearance, they're probably going to think that you have had somewhat of a typical black experience. Is it as it comes to politics or people's treatment of you based on your ethnicity, right? So if they're doing that, like uh, as somebody who is a member of a community that is marginalized, you know, having gone around Oregon, it's not as friendly as you think, you know, there are friendly people like persons, but like culturally it's extremely white. It's extremely a very certain type of white. It's extremely hetero. It's extremely cis. You know, there are pockets of Oregon that are very, regardless of political leanings on issue to issue are very open and very thoughtful and progressive thinking. But the majority of the state is extremely can be closed minded. And generally it runs, you know, with the, the Trump, the Trump train as well. Nathan. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you look at, I'll circle back to the, uh, to the video, uh, to the episode. One of the things that I was glad that came through with, and through, through a journalistic, you know, this wasn't, I didn't have to force this through editing was, um, the different people all had a different viewpoint on what the, what the protests were, you know, they, um, 
And the two people in the video that were the most critical of some of the actions and, you know, the protests themselves were uh, people of color. So I was just glad to see that there what there, you know, one of the things I was trying to portray in that was um, there's a lot of ways to look at these things. Yes. Right. And they're probably a lot of them are probably, you know. I don't want to say everything has validity to it because we do know that QAnon exists, but <laughs> we do, we, you know, we have to like, you know, there's I, something that I really tried to make sure that I did with this project and I will do moving forward is I don't think it helps to deny that Portland doesn't look very good in a lot of areas right now. Um, I think if you try to do that, you put on these rose colored glasses and talk about the city as if it's perfect, then you just sound like you're not in tune with, you sound, you know, like you're not living uh, in reality. Yeah. You just, you, and, and, and I think, so I think it was important, it's important to like say, yes, this is a problem. We do see it. It's, it's there, but come on now. It's not all there is to it. No, nope. you know, it's, there's a it, lot more to it. It's not all there is to it. So, so tell the, tell the good people where they can, they can watch this and, and what they need to tell, share all the socials, everything brother. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the easiest way to find it right now is to go to the Instagram, uh, or the Facebook, but really the Instagram, I'm not really active on Facebook with it, but, uh, Instagram is at bridge to table. Uh, the link to the first episode is in the bio. Once I get the website, uh, built, um, it'll be easier to find that way. But for now, uh, cause even if you search it on YouTube, I don't know if it even comes up yet. I haven't tried to search for it, um, incognito, but do you, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll you, link, we'll link it to the show notes too. Okay. Yeah. Cause, uh, because of how the algorithm works and it's still a new video, a new channel and everything, it might be hard to find even, but, um, yeah. So I think just go to Instagram, bridge the table link is in the bio and follow there and, uh, we'll, we'll grow everything out of that. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, I, I wish you nothing but more success and I'm looking forward to what you're going to put out in the future, my man. Well, I appreciate it. And thanks for the kicks in the ass along the way. So your audience knows we uh, we chat once in a while and try to give each other a little boosts and and stuff meetings of the minds and so and uh, John thanks for everything you're doing too man glad to be Take here glad to be of help you know what's that glad to be here I'm glad to be of help to you well thank you thank you both all right folks thank you so much uh, basically we all can do we can all be more kind we can all get along more we can all love more. So let's see a little bit more of that world. Let's see a little bit more in that in this world. Like and subscribe to our YouTube. Uh, you know, if you're on iTunes, please leave us five stars. That really helps the show grow. Thank you so guys. Thank you guys so much. We love you. We'll see you next week.